Welcome back to the CPA Canada's Disruptive Series podcasts, In Conversation With. We've had a chance to hear Tiff Macklem and Andy Chisholm talk about sustainable finance, and today we will start a series on risk oversight. This podcast will focus on the board's role in overseeing risk. John Caldwell and Tom O'Neill will share their expertise and experiences in risk oversight. John Caldwell is chair of the Board of Advanced Micro Devices and a director of Ferro Technologies, I Am Gold, and Samuel Sun and Company Limited. John has broad board and executive level experience in distressed situations with Stelco, GIAC Computer Corporation, Mosaic Group, and SMTC Corporation, so provides valuable insight into enterprise risk. John is author of CPA Canada's Overseeing Risk, a framework for boards of directors, and co-author on two other CPA Canada publications, Overseeing Strategy and Overseeing Mergers and Acquisitions. Tom O'Neill is former Chief Operating Officer of PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP Global and former CEO of PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP Canada. His career also includes extensive board involvement as chair and board members of Scotiabank, Loblaw Companies, and BCE Inc. He is currently on the board of St. Michael's Hospital. And now, our conversation with. Okay, continuing with our uh, risk oversight uh, podcast series. Um, I want to look today at simplifying risk oversight and, and how do you um, best oversee the risks that the organization is being presented with. First question I wanted to ask you um, is how important is board risk oversight? And in your experience, how well do boards carry out that role? I would say if you were to canvas at least public boards and probably private boards as well, Gigi, you would say that risk oversight would rank in the top five priorities of any board, if not the top one or two or three. Um, and in fact, when you think about what boards actually do, they spend most of their time thinking about exposures and risk. And so they're, they're always looking to identify areas where the organization could, could be exposed. I would say in a, in a more formal sense, very few boards I've been associated with do a great job at risk oversight. They have they've all attempt to do it, they all try and do it well, but regardless of size, I've seen very few who I think do it very effectively. I'd agree with John's assessment. The other three or four things that boards should do well is obviously talent in the hiring and uh, just, uh, dealing with the CEO, I think is a very important part. Uh, the strategic planning process, which is almost part of this risk oversight, is another important part. External reporting to the public and honesty in such dealings, whether it's quarterly reports or press, whatever it is, those kind of things. Um, I would agree also, there's the worst meetings I've ever been at were the strategic planning meetings. I mean, they just drift in a way. So I'd say that on balance over my lifetime, it's improving, but it's not well done. And, and one thing that I would suggest out of the book that uh, John was uh, responsible for is one of the things that boards should do better is the process, like actually following and not going from the first step to the seventh step and ignoring in the in-betweens. The 
And secondly, having it on the agenda when everybody's awake, i.e. the first item, not the last item, as people start fleeing the room for flights and that, it's just not giving it enough attention. Thank you. Um, John, you said uh, few boards do this well. Mm -hmm. Why? Why do you think they? I think they're all good intention. I really do. Um, part of it is it's a function of the level of sophistication of the management risk systems that exist already or don't exist. Because what you really want is the management system to bubble up the major risks up to the board. If that's not a robust system, you're hampered by that. I think secondly, typically boards don't follow a framework, a regimented framework to really examine risk. And the third comment is that they don't, they haven't figured out a very practical approach to how we're going to actually deal with this, with risks. And we'll talk a little bit about that later, perhaps. Tom, anything to? Yeah. I think uh, the risks that we probably do best are the ones that are easiest to understand. <laughs> it's the ones that are over the hill and around the corner that I think we struggle with. Um, I think we can get buried in detail and not be guided by materiality. I can think of example after example where I was on boards where we failed. Uh, one in particular is uh, the oil and gas company that we were at uh, out in Calgary. We had a big plant in Long Lake, coal, at Long Lake. I can't recall any discussion whatsoever on the likelihood and damage that would cause be caused by a fire that took out Fort McMurray. Fire on site, no problem. Fire around the area, no problem. But that just almost destroyed the industry, right? Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a, so that's an example yeah, yeah. of going down the, the risk chain and, and pulling tr triggers. Oh, that'll never happen. No, no, let's just pretend it will happen. And then now what? And I think airplane crashes are, you know, more from CAE experience. It's usually a series of things that go wrong. It's not just one no, thing. No, no. It 100% is. I, Tom, I've been involved in several distress situations, and I went back and looked at it and said, why do these organizations get in distress? It was never one thing. It is never one thing. It's a multitude of things that all converge yeah. together. And sometimes there's a single event that tips it over, but those things were already precarious. So one of the issues that boards have to think about is this whole interrelationship, interconnectivity of exposures, one triggering the other, whereas we tend to look at each risks, each of the risks in, in isolation. The second thing we find, this is more prone, more, management more prone to this than necessarily boards, is they're always looking at external risk. What can happen on the outside? If you read MDNAs and 10Ks and you list the risks, 90% of them say it's an external issue. When's the last time in, a, in an MDA you said, our biggest risk is hiring the wrong CEO? Try and find that, right? And yet, or we got really bad strategy or we can't execute. Try and find that in any one of those documents. Yet those are the self-inflicted risks that can cause the most damage. Yeah, fair enough. And Tom, you gave a good example of a, of a risk that, that was out there. John, do you have some risks of, or, or examples of um, those types of risks, some of these internal risks, or where you've seen it? Well, let me talk about the convergence of risks, just give you an idea. I was involved in a, in a company that was in the commodity business. And the one thing, the, one of the most important things in a commodity business is what? You've got to be the low-cost producer. If you're a high-cost producer in a commodity business, you're guaranteed to have low margins. And the business was, was overly financed with way too much short-term debt. 
And when the recession we hit, price risk on the commodity. Of course, yeah. when the recession hit, the commodity prices went down, margins got squeezed, and the banks came in, stepped into the whole organization. When our very there was also poor financial leadership, poor general management, among other things, a lackluster board. All those things converged into destroying an enormous amount of, of value. Okay. Now you talked about simpler, or we were talking about simplifying risk oversight. How in a case like that do you simplify a situation like that? If all of these things are coming out of board, how do, is there a way to simplify the oversight of those risks? What is it boards can do? Um, I'd start by saying boards got to be very rigorous on what parameters they're going to set to determine the risks they're going to look at. Because you can look at, I've been in a situation where it's 150 risks. Frankly, what are the risks? And the way I think about it, what are the risks that that is going to just that's going to destroy significantly destroy value, or affect its viability, or as importantly, cause it to underperform? Because I think the real measure here is is of course about viability, but you want an organization to perform, and so the risk is underperformance. If you set that materiality threshold and you're rigorous to it, I would guess in most organizations, you should see no more than 20 or 30 exposures that the board has to deal with. So you start focusing on those. To Tom's point, you don't discard high impact risk because there's a low probability because that could come back and bite you because things do happen. And then you've got to have, a, I think, a system that embeds the oversight of each of those right into a board or a committee agenda and, and have each of those groups deal with them. It's not that difficult to divvy up and to address them. Great. Now, you talked earlier about uh, the need for a, to follow a framework. You both noted the need to follow a framework. Where does this framework come from? Where does where does a board get a framework if they don't have one? Well, I think the one that uh, John and his team developed is an excellent one, and I think that's one that uh, if you followed, you wouldn't get caught, or at least you've done your proper job at, at risk management. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. i just go back to the uh, thought. I learned a lot. I was on a bank board during the crisis of May of o, or September of 08 when Lehman went down. I learned a lot about how they manage risks. As compared to other companies, that they're more sophisticated for the simple reason they have to. And the the thing I come back to John's point is risk appetite, and and you're getting at it through a materiality yeah. scope. But the risk appetite is is you know what dam- what how many holes can you put in my ship before I'm done, and how do you get there? And I think we paid in it inadequate attention. At least I'm personally saying this. Up to 07, people would say to the whomever in the boardroom, what happens if we go down a notch on the credit rating? And you'd listen and you'd say, tick. After 07, what happens when you go down the credit rating until we're dead? Show us the steps. Particularly what was happening on the collateral calls, you know, and the liquidity. So the the key thing that I say is the risk that we should spend a lot of time on is staying alive. You've got to breathe and drink water. Liquidity risk and solvency risk, I'm not sure, gets adequate attention. Yeah, the that. way the banks do it, at least. Yeah. Uh, that's where I'd start on any file I'm on. And how long can I stay alive on what I got? You know what's interesting, Tom, when you think about all the boards you've sat on, all the audit committees you've chaired, <laughs> right, and all the management teams you've dealt with, how much time is spent on the cash flow statement? Not a lot. Not a lot. 
It's it, it, the most. You can make the argument, John, that the statement of use that changes in cash yeah. is probably more impar- important than the other two. It is. But it was always the last one we audited, right? It yeah. was the end of the game. Horace wouldn't understand it too, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I look at my side. It's no. all about P&L. It's all about EBITDA. It's all about this stuff. And yet, how much cash, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the biggest issues is around liquidity. Yeah. I do. And how closely do you work with management? On these frameworks, like how how much does management work with you? You've you've written the framework for CPA Canada on the oversight of risk, but management must be able to support you and work with that and help establish a framework. Absolutely. Well, by and large, um, in a normal company, uh, I think management has a lot of does a lot of the work towards creating and and uh, the board approving a strategic plan, and they should follow a process. Now, I'm not saying that's the only process I've ever seen, but Without a process, then you're not going to get to the end game that you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the framework, look, the reality of it is management does most of the work, and they should. Yeah. And so the, I think the board adopts the framework, but the, the management is really responsible for populating that for that framework and coming back to the board with their thing. The board can challenge it, and the board also has to think independently. I'll give you an example of that. One of the greatest risks that I think in any enterprise is poor leadership. It's it's hard. To, the management's not going to say, "Oh, by the way, we got poor leadership." And so the board <laughs> board has to understand. One of their roles is to really assess not oh, yeah. just not just the CEO, but the management team in, in total. And do we have exposures because we don't have the quality of team or the team that has the right backgrounds and skills to address where this company's going? So the board has to take a more proactive role. We'll talk about strategic risk in a moment, but I also believe that's where the board can step in and say, I hear you, but they've got to be a much closer scrutiny around strategy and understanding strategy and strategic risk. And actually, maybe now is a great time to talk about some of the different types of risks that Mm -hmm. boards have to face or boards face and have to deal with. And if you could give me an idea of the different types of risks that boards face and um, some examples that you've seen of that, if there are any. Well, I I would say that the biggest challenge I had in my life was getting on top of what I call evolving risks, because they're new risks that you haven't dealt with before. Cyber's one. I think uh, the political scene, like who would have thought two years ago uh, that we'd be in the mess we are on trade, uh, and the impact it would have on the companies now. How many people have actually did a scenario planning? Well, what happens if China and U.S. go to war from the point of view of trade? I'm not sure a lot of companies did that. Uh, I think the banks are more sophisticated. Brexit would be another one where you study, okay, what's the worst case in Brexit? and How is it going to impact us? Not only directly, but our customers or whatever else. I mean, you have to peel the onion a bit. Those are, the, to me, the most difficult risks. And you tend to want to look backwards, whereas if the risk's passed, it's passed. It's the ones over there you got to worry about, yeah. right? Over the hill and around the corner. I, I agree. Can I that. can I ask an, an add-on question to that, uh, Tom? I think it's a really important area. These evolving risks, and you talked about cyber, another risk um, that's definitely out there is climate change, and we're, we're certainly change. seeing changes. And boards at this stage are often made up of. People who've been CEOs of companies or senior uh, players in, in uh, organizations that have never faced these types of risks. How do boards? How do boards manage the risks that are an area that they couldn't fathom or well, if, anyone could fathom? Well, if it's 
completely new to the whole board, there's two ways you can go at it, and, you, and they're not separate. One is you can find expertise that's relevant that, that would be a good board member and not just a one-note tune. And secondly, one can go out and, and engage uh, professionals to, ed A, ed educate the board, but B, maybe even work for the company, particularly on cyber attacks. What I have learned through, through my uh, dealings now in the bigger companies is that the best source of cyber um, advice comes from these Israeli companies. And the reason is most of these people are ex-Mossad. But secondly, the country's existence depends on it. It's not some little thing over here in a bank, right? And so you've got those two options. Uh, and uh, if you're now, the, it's finding the talent. I think is pretty rare right now. It's a growing. It's a growing population who have the expertise. And the second thing the boards get from these people, other than learning, is you actually get relaxed a little bit, because the fear of the unknown can get you all wound up. But when you're dealing in an emergency room and you're the doc, you don't get all wound up every day. And it's great to hear from these people about how our systems did work, how the team worked. And, and uh, thirdly, I think every board should go through a case study live to see what management would be faced with in such a, uh, a, yeah. such a uh, an event. So, Gigi, picking up on Tom's comment, if you think more broad, cyber is obviously a very important issue today. But if you just think about technology and how it's Overall. changing and how, yeah. it's, how it's changing everything that we do, the whole digitization world, the advent now of artificial intelligence, machine learning, all those things that are out there, how, how do boards navigate that? You know, their greatest concern is your your biggest competitor may not even exist today. Right? It could come out of nowhere. So, you know, one of, the board, one of the issues boards wrestle with is how do we really understand how this landscape unfolds? How do we play? Where do we play? Where do we not? Where are we exposed? And so more and more boards are bringing into their boardroom, as Tom said, either advisors to advise them, experts on these areas, or in many, some cases, they're bringing people on their board with that level of background. And it's, you know, we've witnessed the obvious with the Airbnbs of the world and Ubers of the world, but that can happen in almost any industry. They can be transformed overnight by changes of technology. And that's one where the board and the management have to be aligned and looking at and trying to understand how this minefield can unfold. And great companies are those who embrace it. You don't stick your head in the sand and say, that's not, not happening, we don't need to do it. It's the other way around. How can we leverage these things for competitive advantage opposed to being victimized by someone who, who, who does this to us. That means one of the exciting parts of being on a board these days is all these things are changing so rapidly. Yeah, if you're thinking financial institutions and fintech, uh, as, as just a side topic, um, the interesting thing to me was when you really studied it, um, and uh, is that the fintechs definitely have the technology and they have disruptive technology. They're missing two big things, though, capital and customers. Yeah. And you'll see more and more I mean, they publicize it all the time. The banks are now in, quote, partnership with these people to, to leverage, uh, yeah. as John suggested. So there's always a solution to a problem. you just got to be imaginative, I guess. It is. And, and that gets me to another question, continuing on with this. Does size of the company impact the ability to manage and oversee these risks, particularly when you look at evolving risks? Is it easier or harder if you're a small organization? Is it hard to turn that massive steamship, you know, of a bank or 
do the resources make uh, make it easier for them? What? That's a great question. My background is in larger companies, and John, uh, you can comment on this, but my sense is the apparatus in larger companies is more resourceful in the sense you've got the, the talent and the people to help on the problem. I'd also say that smaller companies will probably be more agile in getting to the solution of the problem. Exactly right. You're exactly right. 100% right. <laughs> so that would be the major difference. Um, I just want to continue on with um, other types of risk. We've talked about strategic risk uh, a bit. We've talked about some organization risk with um, leadership risk um, and financial. What are the uh, some of the other risks? That... I, I want to come back to strategic and organizational okay, risk. Okay, keep going back to strategic. <laughs> okay. Let me make a couple of comments. Strategic risk. I think boards have difficulty in really understanding what that is. And I think I think it's important, Gigi, they separate what I call strategy formulation from strategy execution. Or tactics. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, yeah. So, so, yeah, so boards will spend a lot of time thinking about strategic risk through the through the eyes of formulation. Are we doing the right things? Do we understand the competitive environment? You know, are we leveraging ourselves? Do we have the right customer value proposition? They do a pretty good job on, on that. But in all my experience on boards, I spend very little time saying, can we actually execute on the strategy? Do we have the resources? Do we? And, and I believe most organizations fail on strategy, not because they haven't figured out what to do, is they can't do it. They don't have the resources or the organization to do it. So my sense of it is directors need to spend more time on the executional side as they do on the other. On the organization stuff, we've talked about leadership, but what we're seeing now is a couple of things. We're seeing an unemployment world. We're in an unemployment world we're in. We're seeing a real fight for talent now. Oh, that's crazy. I've never seen it where people are just demanding more and more talent, and and talent retention is important. And it's interesting now because talent retention is taking on a whole different, whole different way of thinking because of the emergence of younger people who have different expectations, they have different interests, different motivations. And so how to retain talent today is completely different than it was 10 or 15 years ago. That's, a, that's an opportunity, but also a challenge. Great. And any other types of risks that uh, you think organizations face? Or well, that you can... I heard a term that uh, I'd never heard before, and I went to a presentation by uh, a chairman of uh, a non-for-profit pension plan, but he called it stealth risk. And when we probed into that, he says it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you're, uh, you get carbon monoxide poisoning, you know it's going on, it's out there, but you can't smell it, you can't touch it, you can't get your finger on it. And his illustrations at the time to make it live. He said, who would have thought in 1985 that Toyota Motor Company would overtake General Motors in the automotive business? He, uh, he was also a director at Rogers, and he put a needle in my hand. He said, and how do you, who would have thought Rogers would have had a bigger market cap than Bell when, when they were the king of the, yep. king of the junk bonds? And he had one or two other examples. And what was happening, oh, I know, the, the ranking of the banks was, his third example was when I started with John, Royal and CIBC were knocking around at the top, and uh, BMO was solidly in the middle, and the two little guys were TD and, and Scotia fighting for last spot. 25 years later, it's completely inverted. Mm -hmm. 
TD's banging away at Royal. Um, uh, Scotia's in mid-spot, and the other two are smaller. And he says, well, what was going on in the boardrooms? Yep. And it happened over a long period of time, but it happened. Destru- and destruction of value. Yep, absolutely. And and did he have any thoughts about how a board would deal with these well, stealth risks? I would even wonder something like BlackBerry. Uh, would, would that have been a stealth risk in terms of sort of seeing things happening around them? I don't know if the situation was completely different, but, but what can a board do in a case like that? Well, what's... Uh, and you don't have to use BlackBerry as the example. Well, no, but I was going to suggest that any time any one of our companies gets to a certain size, we manage to blow it up somehow. And I think I think the failure of uh, Nortel and, uh, and BlackBerry, I'm looking at it from the outside, mm-hmm. is they didn't study the competition. Correct. Right? Know that Apple and Samsung, you know, forget them. Uh, yeah, you know, times we talked about earlier, you talk about evolving situations. You know, companies that lose a tiny bit of market share every year can always rationalize it, right? Always. I know one. Yes, we know one. We've been associated <laughs> with one back. We were pretty good at it too, though. But you, you can always rationalize why you lost a little bit of share. But when you then look back and say, five years or ten years, my goodness, this company's just inverted. And those slowly evolving, you know, performance issues Unless a board's very vigilant and says, you know what, we got to stop this. We have and to stop really this. And it's really hard to roll it up. It is. Right? It takes a lot of energy. But I agree, you're just, you're drip, you're drip drying to, 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 to de- eventual death. Mm-hmm. I was on a board, I'm like chairing the audit committee of one of the boards, and I was on the board, and I pulled some data. And I just said, let's look at our net debt position for the last six years. You know, we've, we've always looked at our cash flow every year. I said, let's just look what's happened. Well, yeah, slowly but surely, we've been increasing our debt. We've always rationalized it, but we're taking on more and more debt. And it wasn't because we're making major investments. It's just the business was demanding more capital, and we just kept pouring more capital. And we finally said, you know what, folks, it's time. We've got to stop. We've got to stop. We've got to turn this thing a different direction. And, and is that what it takes, one person recognizing this and saying, okay, let's take a step back here. Let's think through this. Yeah, and I th- and I, I and I think uh, you'd have to do it for more than one meeting because you want to make sure your colleagues are aware. And um, I can think of an instance that took me three meetings to get to what John was talking about. But once we got there, it, 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 it you know it took off. So I think Tom, great directors do a heck of a lot more than read a bunch of material. Oh, between meetings, yeah, absolutely. They're thinking about this stuff. They're looking at information. But one of the one of the great values that a director brings is perspective, right? Sometimes management gets too close to the organization themselves. So a board member who brings a different perspective, does their homework, and comes with a different point of view, can be enormously helpful for a board. And that's not disruptive. That's not at all. No, it's no, constructive. It's constructive. Absolutely so. constructive. They, they, now they they may have a countervailing view than management. And that's fine. You want to encourage that. But I've always admired directors who say, well, let me bring you my perspective on this thing. And often or not, it's usually more experienced directors who've seen more to come back and say, okay, folks, let's take a look at this. Right? Let's look at this through a different lens. This is where I see this thing going. We need to make some changes here. And I really value that. Yeah. And what about, you You hinted at a geopolitical risk earlier, Tom, but what about geopolitical risks, particularly in the current environment? What, is, there, is there anything that boards need to do or can do around some of the geopolitical things that are really sort of 
external and uh, difficult to get your hands around and manage. Well, to me, it's the unpredictability that you're trying to get your, your hands around. And I remember trying to do some scenarios under uh, the on the U.S. under the this administration, and we finally figured out to say, well, what's the worst we can think of? Because it's he's so unpredictable, you don't know what he's going to do tomorrow. So, so it's, it's, that's an issue. The question that was raised in the ICD journal, where Anne McClellan and her colleagues were talking about this, I think uh, was an interesting read. Mm -hmm. And the question then is, how do you get uh, input on those topics, which is usually people in the highest levels of governments or civil service, maybe elsewhere, maybe think tanks. But um, And my experience is that it's very difficult for politicians to jump into the boardroom. Um, and the ones that do it well are great, but mm -hmm. I don't, I, that's a bet I wouldn't make too often. I know John's not. Okay. And it's be, I'll tell you, part of it is because if you were growing, let's pretend I'm a 25-year uh, person in, in either in parliament or civil service, and there are good people there, but two things don't really matter to them. One is time. And the other's money. <laughs> They're using other people's money, and they just run the clock. Yep. And it's very hard for them to get into that mindset. But that's the that's the house they're living in, right? Mm -hmm. That's what they're used yeah. to. So that's a difficult challenge. Now, I I heard another sort of view of that recently from a, a, a civil servant. I guess he would have been. Well, he was an ambassador, um, and his point was someone on the board that has a background in that. What they can do is help you to get in the door. When in fact you do need to deal with That's government, correct. and you you do yeah, need to I do that. that, so it's an interesting. Um, and I guess it would depend on the business you're in and whether or not you bring someone like that onto the uh, to the board. Um, it, it, we've talked the, about. There's, sorry, there's other ways to get at it that's more indirect. So, for example, the Canadian Chief Ex uh, Council of Chief Executives, yeah. Goldie Hyder, that's mm -hmm. part of his life, right? For at least from a Canadian point of view. And I guess trade associations have their way to help, but at corporate level, it's the one where that's where the risk is. It is. To be one thing to be an association member, it's the other thing to run a company. Right? The hard part is if you're running a global business, your geopolitical risk just intensifies, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm on several companies that that are international businesses where we've got more business outside of North America than in. Now you're dealing with all the vagaries of what's going on in Europe and all the complexity of Asia. So it it's it's compounding. And to Tom's point, you know, you want insight into those things. You, we all read newspapers, but you really want to do is to really understand where, the, where is this thing tracking? How does this play What's out? What's it looking at? Mm -hmm. exactly. How does it play out? Mm -hmm. yeah. And how do you get that insight? Well, you can bring board members on your board from those regions, and, and it's, well, it's very difficult to do that, by the way. It's hard to, to do that. They can add a lot of value. But the other way is, as Tom talked about earlier, you can bring advisors in who have that knowledge and keep the board informed. And one of the things that I find really valuable on boards is to bring people in with those perspectives to come to the board meetings, have a dinner, do presentations, bring people in who are really knowledgeable in an environment where you can share ideas. I think it's been incredibly helpful. And if you have material uh, operations uh, in country, the country leaders are also helpful to bring to board meetings because they live there. They're part of the social fabric. So in our case, we, we had directors, I'm talking Scotia, directors from Pan uh, Latin America. And secondly, we look for directors who uh, are in related businesses. One runs the Organization American and Latin America thing in New York. 
and uh, Finning Tractor, or Finning uh, Company out west, if you look at their distribution, they go all the way down to Chile and Argentina. Mm-hmm. So the president of that company obviously has a great line of sight in the same places we're looking for expertise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, can you talk then about, um, describe some of the components of, an, of effective board oversight and how to improve risk oversight by your board? Do you feel you've already... Quality discussion, time allotted to it, and the placement on the agenda. And by the way, it should be stewarded on a regular basis. Your point about execution, John, the, uh, how are we doing against those objectives, whatever they are. Gigi, what I find is that boards look at risk oversight almost like an academic exercise. We've got to tick boxes. Oh, yeah, we've seen the red, green, yellow charts, and we what's going up, what's going down. I think the greatest advice I would say is identify the issues that are risk and don't use the word risk at all. You say, okay. Well, yeah, I would yeah. say this. You know, Let's take an example where you've got retention. All right? You've got staff retention of key people. That's a risk. Don't put the word risk beside it. What are we doing to retain staff? I mean, what what do you want management to do? You want them to manage risk. So here's the exposure. What are we actually doing about it? And if you can't manage it, if you can't do anything about it, how are you going to react if those things occur? And I think to push that whole concept down right through the organ, right management organization, which drives action, what that does, it ends up driving better performance. And that, to me, is the greatest benefit of risk oversight because it's driven from the top. But what it does is it drives better performance through the whole organization across every one of those dimensions. And if organizations can get there, they've, they've made big, big progress. Great. Okay. Any uh, final comments about uh, simplifying risk o- oversight? That we haven't talked about yet. Right? I'd say you just said it. I think I think a lot of management teams will give you all the complexity in the world, and what you want to do is exactly the opposite: boil it down into something that's manageable and simple that you can deal with. Mm-hmm. I think risk ranking the 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 risks and getting a list of maximum. You said ten, I think, or whatever. Because uh, if you ask a teller at a bank, what are the major risks facing the bank? You're going to get a different answer from the CEO, right? So we want to be fishing up in the material area. And one thing that uh, isn't a bad practice is when you have a, a real blow-up in risk, and it could be strategic risk, but these are ones that I'm thinking more in the financial arena. So the Bank of Bangladesh heist would be one, the whale, Sokjen, Erings Bank. I mean, I can go on is have management deconstruct what happened to the best of their ability. If they know what happened, that's even better, and why it wouldn't happen in our operation. You'll find more often than not that all of these things are caused by human failing or collusion and getting around the existing systems. I mean, when you deconstruct. Mm -hmm. So go back to talent. Uh, More often than not, that's what happened. Interesting. Well, thank you. These are some great points for uh, simplifying risk management and following through on the oversight of risk. Great. Thanks. Thank you, Gigi. Thank you.